And I would say it was a side hustle, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was working, you know, 14 hours a day. I think it's a common misconception of that sort of stereotype that the entrepreneur is working till all hours of the night. And that's just not healthy. And I had taken a very measured approach when I went back to the workforce that I was going to continue to slowly build Thai society in my free time while maintaining my social life, while maintaining my relationships, and really wanted to take my time to get to know this industry and to learn how to run a business. Welcome to Made It Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Haefling. Made It Happen is a podcast series highlighting female founders who took a chance and launched their own business. Through interviews with female entrepreneurs, Made It Happen is dedicated to inspiring others through stories of those who have experienced going out on their own firsthand, discussing all the highs and the lows. It can be easy to see the glamorous side of starting your own business through the internet and social media, but what does it really take behind the scenes to launch and run your own successful business? Hear how these inspiring female founders made it happen. What is the best way to be listening to Made It Happen podcast? Maybe with a glass of rosé, chardonnay. Either way, I want to talk about the official wine of Made It Happen podcast, Paglioni Estate Winery. Paglioni Estate Winery celebrates the simple life in Canada's southernmost wine region with food, wine, and Italian charm. Made as they were generations before, their high-quality small-batch wines are crafted with minimal intervention using only the best locally grown grapes. From their cellar to their kitchen, it's all about caring on the tradition. You can check them out at paglioniestatewinery.com where you can shop their wide variety of wines, my personal favorite, the 2018 Cabernet Marlot, but they have a wide selection of amazing wines to choose from, as well as gift cards and other amazing items. Be sure to go check them out at paglioniestatewinery.com. I just want to start us off by saying thank you so much for joining me here today, Marnie, and I'm so excited to hear about your journey as an entrepreneur and also about your company, Thai Society. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, of course. So how about we start off with just having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure. So I am originally from Montreal, and I've actually been living in Toronto for the last 15 years. And I've worked across the corporate, government, and academic sectors uh, for about 15, 20 years before starting Thai Society. So it was a long road uh, to ultimate entrepreneurship, you could say. Um, and I had no previous experience in e-commerce or retail or manufacturing or any sales experience um, when I started the business. It was completely different from all of the work I had done previously in my more corporate type of roles. And so now I'm the CEO of Thigh Society, and we make long leg boxer brief underwear for women that prevents thigh chafing and offers a really comfortable alternative to lounge around in or do yoga in at home or Zoom call bottoms. Um, and ultimately the shorts were created to prevent inner thigh chafing. And I had created the product, and I'm sure we'll get into some more detail about this, but I created the product because I couldn't find essentially a boxer brief for women that had a long enough leg uh, to prevent my personal thighs from chafing. So I guess I was under the assumption maybe that my thighs chafed lower down on my leg than most of the underwear I could find at Victoria's Secret and whatnot. 
And so that really was the impetus uh, that drove uh, me to start this business. And another thing that we do at Thigh Society beyond just making incredible underwear is we're helping to destigmatize um, thigh chafing and working to help people, you know, love their their thighs at any size uh, is our motto, but really helping women to feel good about their bodies and feel good in the skin that they're in. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I, I really love the messaging that, you know, your company has and the purpose that it really stands for. And, you know, you had said that you had started the company because you kind of found that gap in the market where there is nothing sort of serving what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, the starting up the company? You said you didn't have sort of any experience before in that specific sector. So I'm curious to know, you know, about the beginning of your journey there. For sure. Um, so yeah, my my background had been really corporate in a sense, you know, um, definitely not working in fabric or apparel or e-commerce or manufacturing. Um, but I really had a need for a product that I couldn't find on the market. And it was July of 2008. And I was walking on, a, on my lunch break, wearing a skirt for the first time that, you know, early spring, late spring, early summer, and my thighs were rubbing together and started to burn. And I had forgotten to put on my trusty bike shorts, which I'd forgotten about because they sat, you know, sort of in the back of my underwear drawer (laughs) from the previous summer. And I remembered that this was a problem that I had. Anytime the weather heated up a little bit, I have sensitive skin and my legs always rub together. That was independent of my weight or size. Um, And it would become very painful and irritating. And so I really thought to myself on that day, you know, there has to be a better way. You know, I'm tired of like, I, I ran actually at that point to the nearest shopper's drug mart downtown, grabbed some baby powder and, you know, went back to my office bathroom and put it on my, in between my thighs, which was ultra messy and super impractical. Um, and I thought, you know, why isn't there, or, or is there at this point, because I didn't know if there was long leg underwear for women that wasn't shapewear, because until that point in time, I had been wearing my old bike shorts because I really didn't feel like squeezing into a pair of tight and not breathable shapewear, especially in the summer. I mean, I'm not anti-shapewear, but I feel like it has a time and a place. And certainly if you were wearing a loose summer dress or a maxi dress, there's really no reason to have to squeeze into a super hot, tight and not breathable shapewear undergarment. So I spent the rest of that summer really uh, on a research mission to find the long leg underwear of my dreams because I really believed that it existed. And so I went to every single um, lingerie or bra specialty boutique that I could find in Toronto. And I went to big department stores like the Bay and I looked online and uh, internet shopping back in 2008 was still very different, was much different than it is today. Um, I'm not even sure that Amazon was as big, but the long and short of it is I really didn't find anything online. And the closest thing I could find was um, that women were wearing um, men's boxer briefs. And I had discovered that one time when I was actually at the Bay and I wandered through the men's department and uh, actually a woman from a sales rep from one of the major men's underwear brands came over to me and asked me in a hushed tone if I was shopping for myself or for a man in my life. And it was then that I knew, okay, I'm not the first person to use uh, men's underwear as a long leg solution. So I spent the summer really, you know, keeping up that optimism that maybe I would find something that would meet my needs. Maybe I just wasn't looking 
in the right places. But every time I walked into a lingerie store, you know, and asked them if they had any specialty undergarments that weren't shapewear, I was met with a, no, we don't, you're not the first person to ask, but we don't carry anything like that. You know, why don't you try cutting your leggings or why don't you try a bike short or even sometimes, you know, why don't you try some long leg men's underwear? And so really by the end of that summer, I had reached the conclusion that I wasn't going to find what I was looking for. And I thought to myself, okay, I had always had an entrepreneurial itch, but I had probably gone through, you know, half a dozen ideas in my mind um, that never really ended up um, going anywhere because I felt I couldn't monetize them. And I thought, what if I spend a bit more time asking around and asking women that I know if they get thigh chafing and if they have a solution that would work. And sure enough, through conversations online, um, I went into some forums, you know, this is like very early, um, early internet days again. So, you know, it's some chat forums and whatnot, asking women if they had solutions and nobody really did. And of course I asked every woman and girlfriend that I came into contact with if they had a solution and we were all sort of using the same inferior solutions, you know, men's underwear, cut your leggings, cut your pantyhose, old pair of bike shorts. And so I think it was really just for me a matter of, I was convinced enough at that time that I could probably explore the possibility of developing this product. And truth be told, in my current job at that time, I was really ready for a change. Um, and I felt that it was pretty low risk for me to quit my job and spend my days learning a little bit more about manufacturing and products so that I could uh, have my daytime hours and not have to worry about trying to fit all that in after business hours. So I did quit my job um, at that time, um, and I spent the following six months really um, working my network, speaking to everybody that I knew who had a contact in manufacturing or apparel or um, had anything to do with e-commerce at the time. Um, and I was fortunate to uh, meet a friend or I had a friend at the gym at the time who unbeknownst to me until I started until I asked him that he was actually the production manager for a really big uh, global apparel company um, who had a factory here in Toronto that he was able to introduce me to. And so I had a lot of conversations, made a lot of phone calls. Um, I also reached out to some local resources who were basically geared at um, fashion entrepreneurs as well as uh, young fashion entrepreneurs to see what kinds of resources they had available for people looking to start up a business in, you know, quote unquote fashion um, and was able to, uh, to, to find a factory, a local factory, and ultimately able to find a, uh, a local fabric importer uh, and subsequently also found a pattern maker where we were able to start working and, and discussing what a product like this might, might look like. Um, and so there were a lot of conversations early on, uh, especially around fabric minimums and order minimums, because I really was sort of testing the waters with this. I wasn't really sure if this was going to be a viable business. And I wasn't in a place where I necessarily wanted to go to the bank and take out a loan. Um, or even through some of those organizations that support young entrepreneurs. I um, am quite risk averse. I think we'll get into that later. I really, really didn't want to take on any debt. Um, I was sort of treating this as almost like a, like a project. So I wasn't working um, full time. 
And I knew I had this time on my hands to really explore whether or not this could be a viable business. And I, I tried to keep it fun. And I tried to, you know, keep in mind the idea that I was really gearing at producing the product of my dreams and producing a product that, that met all the check boxes of women I had spoken to uh, in person and online of what they would want in a long leg uh, boxer brief for women. So I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> we can certainly take it back to some other details because I certainly don't want to gloss over anything that might be really interesting to your listeners. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, I love sort of the journey that you took there and especially, you know, sharing the resources that you had used and the amount of research that you did going beforehand and also the approach that you were taking to the business. You know, you really wanted to make sure it was viable before going on. And I think that, you know, it definitely has shown with the success of the business, all the work that went into it beforehand. And so, you know, I'm curious too is, you know, once you did sort of get it up and running and going, um, what's sort of been the biggest obstacle that you've overcome with your business? Well, <laughs> um, honestly, I think I'd have to take it back to, to that period of time, um, back in 2008 or 2000 and yeah, 2008. And then again, four years ago, um, the biggest obstacle for me was honestly making the decision to quit my full-time job and focus on the business. So I made this decision twice. Once, like I said, was in July, 2008, after I had spent the three months of the summer really scouring uh, you know, the internet and pounding the pavement and really figuring out if I, if, you know, I had to be convinced that there was a need for this product. I really was reluctant to get into apparel and manufacturing and essentially you know, take on this massive career switch um, with no knowledge and just, you know, really self teach myself, uh, in conjunction with my network, what, um, you know, how to run an apparel business and how to run an e-commerce or an online business. So it was a big decision back then in July, 2008 to quit, but it was also, it felt like the right timing because like I said, I had wanted a change. Uh, and then what I did mention is, so I, I did that for six months and I went back into the workforce, uh, and I worked at the university of Toronto for, the next seven years, actually, as an MBA career coach, which was an immensely fulfilling job. And I was working with a lot of students who were doing their MBA to advance their careers or change their careers. Um, and, and while I really enjoyed the job, after about seven years, I was sort of itching for a change. And I had been running Thai Society in my spare time um, for, that, for those seven years that I was, that I was working. And I would say it was a side hustle, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was working, you know, 14 hours a day. I think it's a common misconception of that sort of stereotype that the entrepreneur is working till all hours of the night. And that's just not healthy. Um, and I had taken a very measured approach when I went back to the workforce in 2009 that I was going to continue to slowly build thigh society in my free time while maintaining my social life, while maintaining my relationships and really wanted to take my time to get to know this industry and proceed cautiously because I really didn't want to have to take on debt beyond the initial investment that I had put in to start the business for that initial um, order of products. And I wanted to take my time to learn e-commerce and to learn how to run a business and to you know, all the things that sort of go into to running a business. How do you figure out how to ship your products? How do you figure out how to market your products? How do you handle customer service? 
And so really we're talking about a really long, um, a long period of time. And it was a very tough decision, I would say. And it was really challenging to me personally. I mean, we all have stuff that we have to work on on ourselves or that we want to work on on ourselves. And for me, it was really that fear of what would this look like if I focus on Thai society full time? You know, what's it going to look like to leave this really great job where I have, an, you know, I'm very fulfilled. Um, I have great benefits, a great salary. Um, what is this really going to look like if I, if I focus on this full time? And I think the biggest challenge was, was pushing myself out of my comfort zone to, to quit again that second time um, and really go for it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd say that that was probably the biggest challenge to date. But I, I, to be fair, I, was, I had a lot of experience under my belt at that point, having learned the business. So I had built up the confidence to be able to say, you know what, if I don't quit and focus on Thai society full time now, I might regret it later. And truth be told, I have some great work experience. And so what's the worst thing that can happen? I'm very hireable. I'll just go back to find another job, right, in corporate or, or, um, or academic or, uh, or a government setting. So in that sense, it was low risk. It was just mostly me that was holding myself back. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think that's a, a big challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs go through is, you know, taking that big leap into it. But I think that you also did it in such a strategic way with really getting it up and running on the side and really getting the experience, which is, you know, great to hear. And you talked to that you wanted to really learn the business before you went all in. And can you, you want to, would you like to share something that you really learned about yourself while running your business? Sure. Um, I mean, over time, I think I've gotten used to recognizing that risk aversion in myself. So, and that fear and being able to name it when big decisions need to be made and asking myself realistically, is this my fear speaking or, you know, or is there a real uh, reason not to do this from the business perspective? And so I have put in place sort of um, processes that I know that I need in order to feel secure in my decisions to sort of, you know, hush that risk averse voice in the back of my head. And that often comes down to a lot of data and research that will support decision making. Um, and so that's definitely been something I've learned. Um, something else I've learned is, you know, to trust your instincts. Um, you know, we hear it's such a cliche and I think we hear that all the time through all aspects of life, but it's really true. You know, when you're working on your business and you've, you know, developed a product or a service that you really um, believe in and have researched and studied and have, you know, surveyed people about, you really know that product inside and out. And so when it comes to talking about ways to steer your business in a certain direction, you know, it's important to listen to that gut instinct of what your own instincts are telling you. And it is important as well, I think, to get feedback from other people, but it's also important to listen to your gut um, and trust in yourself. So I think it's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think it's, you know, a really great piece of advice. And like you said, you're the one that really knows your business the best. And so it's great to sort of, you know, have that research, have the supporting, you know, documents for that, but also like know when you really know sort of the direction you want to take it in. Mm -hmm. Um, and do you mind also telling us just, you know, some of the marketing strategies you've used to promote your business, either, you know, from the beginning when you're getting it up and running or mm -hmm. even, um, some that you're using nowadays. For sure. So in the beginning, again, like this was really early days of internet. And so I was very strategic uh, at the beginning 
to think about who were the bloggers, because I mean, I think <laughs> bloggers exist now, but I think influencers uh, is maybe a better term to use now. And influence, to be an influencer is now a career path, um, which being a blogger really wasn't back in 2009. But I thought to myself, you know, who, who can I reach out to um, in North America and beyond? Because um, I did target uh, European and Australian bloggers. Who can I target who might have a captive audience that would be really interested in buying in buying a pair of thigh society slip shorts. And so again, back to that research piece, um, I spent a lot of time online searching for people that I could reach out to and I sent them emails with requests to see if they'd want to try the product. And, you know, many of them answered yes. And so I would ship them a pair of shorts or a couple of pair of shorts to try and then they would write about it. And that is initially for a couple of years, how we got most of our sales. It was through a lot of bloggers and, uh, you know, the traffic that came through their site, the readers that were, um, using those bloggers as trusted sources for products that they had actually tried and could vouch for. Um, and so over time, as, um, as chain things started to become more talked about in mainstream media, uh, what we found with some of the bigger publications like BuzzFeed and Huffington Post and Refinery29 started, um, you know, they started doing their own Google searches for thigh chafing and inevitably some of these blogger um, reviews would show up. And so that's how we ended up getting some of that, uh, that next sort of level of growth through traffic that came through a lot of, um, a lot of those media sites. And then it was really in the last four or five years that we started uh, putting some some budget to our marketing and what we do right now is we do spend quite a bit on Facebook and Instagram ads, Google ads. Uh, we've recently started working in a more uh, strategic way with influencers. Um, we also use our social media as a means to market our products as well as email for sure. Um, and then this year we were able to bring on a publicist to help us uh, to increase our, our marketing. But really, you know, when I think about what it was like in the early days where it was just me, it was really boots on the ground, you know, boots on the, boots on the virtual ground, <laughs> you could say, um, emailing um, people who I thought would be amenable to trying the product and really emailing them from, you know, my personal email and genuinely making, uh, making an ask and saying, hey, listen, no pressure to write about this, but, you know, I think you really like it. So I know things are different nowadays uh, because I know there's quite a few influencers and, and many, you know, with huge followings who, you know, require very big budgets. And then you never have any guarantees about, you know, the algorithm and, and how many eyeballs are actually going to be seeing that post. So things, um, things are a little more expensive in that regard, but I still think there are ways to reach out. If, if you're someone starting a business and you need to figure out ways to get your business promoted, I do think you can still focus number one on, um, you know, maybe micro influencers or, you know, influencers that have a smaller following who can be trusted uh, by an engaged audience that looks to them for product recommendations. And I still say you can go old school and, you know, Google search uh, articles or that have been written about products that are in a similar space or services in a similar space to what you're offering and see if you can find you know, the writers who, who wrote those articles and see if you can find freelance editors or, you know, junior editors on staff at a lot of publications. That's, that's something I did back in the day. And I still think, think it's a good strategy now, you know, utilize tools like LinkedIn. You can often reach out to people through LinkedIn. You can sort of, you know, decode someone's email address based on where they work and send them, you know, a cold email with your pitch. 
Um, but I do think there's a lot of still low cost ways to, um, to market your business now that don't necessarily have to involve huge marketing budgets, you know, and get, and get your friends to, to try to, <laughs> to try to be your, your army of referrers. Although that, that, uh, group can only go so far because you tend to find that you're, there's a lot of overlap in your circles, but definitely utilize friends and family to help you spread the word. Definitely. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, I think those are some really great strategies. And I really love too how in the starting, I guess that sort of was how influencer marketing really started. And so I'm curious to know sort of one, how your company has really come along in those 12 years, but also the industry in general, especially with those changes in social media you're talking about, but the, and the industry of, you know, body positivity and with that social media and everything sort of, how has that evolved over the years, especially with your company? Mm, Great question. Um, So when we first, when I first started the business in 2009, there weren't that many people talking about body positivity. There certainly were a few influencers, but it wasn't necessarily a hashtag um, by that point. And so I was really just being strategic to reach out to bloggers uh, that were diverse in um, in their size and their age um, and their ethnicity, because I felt like they, you know, might be interested in, in the product. I didn't necessarily have the luxury of doing like a hashtag search, for example, back in the day to figure out who would be interested. It was really just uh, Google searching and, and coming up with my list in Excel and then whittling it down or sending cold emails and following up. Um, and you didn't really see many articles published about thigh chafing it really wasn't something that was talked about. And I think it's because it was really stigmatized. I think it still is stigmatized for sure, but it was definitely one of those taboo topics that you didn't talk about back then. And and I can say that with confidence because I had set up some Google alerts, good old fashioned Google alerts, which you can set some keyword search. You can do some keyword searches and have the Google alerts let you know when those keywords show up in people's searches on Google. And I mean, I don't have the specifics to back it up. But I mean, I could tell you that people were searching on, on chafing and shorts to wear under dresses quite a bit back in the day, back in 2009. But what you weren't seeing was the corresponding articles from, you know, the Buzzfeeds and the Huffington Post, where you'd actually have articles about thigh chafing and suggested products to prevent them. And so the industry has really come a long way. And I, I do think and take a lot of pride in the fact that I think thigh society played you know, um, a pretty big part in being one of the original brands in the space of creating this new category of long leg underwear for women that wasn't shapewear. We like to call our, our slip shorts chafewear <laughs> at Thigh Society um, because it's, you know, it's, it's not shapewear and it's really designed to prevent chafing in a super comfortable way. So what I will say back to your question about influencers and bloggers Honestly, some of the bloggers um, that we had worked with in our early days who had written about our product, um, you know, remain super fans of Thigh Society to this day. And a lot of them have gone on to um, become full-time influencers for sure. Um, and, you know, and we continue to keep in touch on social. Um, and it's great to see their success over time as well, being able to parlay their, you know, their passions and hobbies as influencers or as bloggers into being influencers. And it's really, for us, it's really exciting to see more brands, you know, not just talk the talk of body positivity, but actually cater to different size ranges. So we had been, when I started Thigh Society, we were making sizes small to size 2XL. 
for a few years, and then we were able to move into a 3x, 4x um, a couple of years later. And then for the last couple of years, we've actually been able to offer extra small through size 6x. And that was something that um, had been a real goal of mine when starting the company uh, to be able to cater to all sizes. Because again, I believe and I know that thigh chafing is not a size issue. It really has to do with moisture and friction and skin sensitivity. And I wanted no woman to have to suffer from thigh chafing. And I wanted all women to have an option to fit their bodies that was super comfortable. And so the only reason we weren't able to really expand our size range over time, you know, it was a function of when you're starting out, you have certain minimum order quantities that you have to, you know, you have to agree to with your factories. And so it does become a trade-off of cost, um, your ability to, you know, of cost and your ability to pay for that inventory and, and, you know, how quickly can you sell that inventory and will you have the cash to, to, to replace that order and replenish that order. And so, you know, our slow growth allowed us to expand our size range over time. Um, and then ultimately also we ran into a little bit of a roadblock a few years ago where we couldn't actually find the machinery to expand our size range. And so that was a, that was a matter of us, um, actually ultimately having to change factories and work with a factory that was innovative and had the equipment needed to, um, to be able to accommodate our, our size ranges on, on both sides, actually. So both sides of that sort of bell curve of sizes, if you will, from the extra small and smaller um, to the five X and larger. So hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, I love, I love sort of seeing how the industry has come along. And I think it definitely is becoming a lot more inclusive and especially, you know, with the messaging behind your brand, which again, I, I really, I just love the messaging and especially, you know, the route that it is taking and, you know, looking at your business journey since it had started, is there sort of one big highlight that stands out to you where you sort of maybe stood there and it was a maybe pinch me moment from, from your business um, that you'd like to share? Sure. And I actually, I think I have two examples because I think, you know, there's a lot of pinch me moments in a business um, depending on how long you've been at it. And the first pinch me moment was when I remember getting our first sale from a customer that I didn't know. <laughs> and so it's one thing to say that you see orders come in and it's, you know, your friends, your family members, or, you know, a long lost relative or a friend of a friend, but I'll never forget um, the first moment where I got a customer, an order from a customer in the US whose name I didn't know. And then, you know, right after that, it was sort of like another customer in Australia that I didn't know. And I was freaking out. So I was like, this is so cool. You know, people who don't even know me, who have no vested interest in supporting this business, really want to try this product. And so that was super exciting. And then I would say um, the major moment was when we hit a million dollars in sales. And that was a major pinch me moment. And it really was, for me, a really significant marker of how far I had come. Because that took about eight years um, or almost uh, close to almost to 10 years to reach a million dollars in sales because of the way that I had chosen to run the business. So it had been three years that I had been working on the business full time. It had been three years since I had quit um, my job at University of Toronto to focus on it full time. And to see that number show up um, was really surreal um, and really a proud moment for me. And at the time, my, um, my, my small team, because I was not a solopreneur uh, by that point in time. And so, yeah, I still, it's still a pinch me moment, I have to say. I think you can never forget some of those milestones because they remind you of how far you've come. 
Yes, definitely. And that, congratulations, because that definitely is a huge milestone. And, you know, it's great to sort of, like you said, look and see how far you've come with your business, especially, you know, when it is sort of those big steps going forward. Um, and, you know, with that too, is there sort of one thing that, you know, if you could choose that really makes your business so successful and sort of how it has um, got to where it is today? So yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think there's one thing that has made Thai society so successful. I think, I mean, number one, it's a combination of we have a really great product with the fact that we offer really great customer service. And we have, I think, really great branding that is inclusive and diverse. Um, and I think those three things combined has really have all really contributed to Thai society's success. In addition to the hard work of you know myself and my team, um, you know, day in and day out, and continuing to to grow this business and push it forward. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think all of those really do, you know, go into what makes a successful business. And like you said, usually there's not one thing, but I think all of those collectively have definitely, you know, got the business to where it is today, which is, which is very successful. And, you know, I, like I said to the messaging behind it and, you know, about body positivity and self-love and um, do you have any tips that you would like to share sort of on self-love and body positivity for our listeners? Uh, there are so many. I think we could do a whole podcast just on that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, you know, we're all a work in progress when it comes to self-love, right? And feeling good about our bodies. So I think it's, it's important to remember that, that it's a journey. Um, and so if I have to think about it, I'd probably say it starts with, you know, following some influencers and creators who really celebrate the bodies that they're in. And, you know, being cognizant of the fact that what you see in your feed is sort of seeping into your brain and mindset on a regular basis. And so, you know, mind who you follow and be, be deliberate in who you follow online and try not to be so hard on yourself, you know, especially now in a pandemic, you know, I'd say be grateful for all the things that, that your body can do for you. Um, you know, maybe that's, that means taking a breather during the day and going for a walk know, having a dance party by yourself in the kitchen, you know, just taking some pause and, you know, thinking to yourself, I, I never forget where I, where I heard this, I forget where I heard this from, but, you know, we, we often are so mean to ourselves. And if you try to imagine whether or not you would say to yourself, would you say the same thing to your best friend? And if the answer is no, don't speak so meanly to yourself and so harshly to yourself. And so just be aware of that. Those would be my, my tips. Yeah. And I think those are some really great tips, you know, um, especially, you know, like you said, with social media and seeing and remembering too, that those sort of, those are the highlights. And so being mindful of who you really are following and the messaging that they're sending across, I think is so important for, you know, self-love and body positivity all over. Um, and then, you know, also on the business side, do you have sort of one tip that maybe you give to someone who is looking to start a business or maybe something that, you know, you wish someone had told you when you were first starting out? Hmm. I think for me personally, I would say that I, I wish that I would have been more self-aware of my, of the, of the possibility of my risk aversion to slow me down. And if I had been more self-aware of that, or maybe gathered more mentors uh, and surrounded myself with more mentors really early on, that they may have pushed me out of my comfort zone sooner. 
Um, and I don't have any regrets. I'm, I think things, you know, we all do things in life when, when it feels like the right time. But I do know that for me, you know, that reluctance to sort of that reluctance and fear, um, if I hadn't had that, or if maybe I had someone who pushed me out of my comfort zone earlier on, maybe the business would be further ahead nowadays. So for advice for people just starting out is, you know, try to find, surround yourself with people who can support you. And then, you know, even more specifically, look out there. There's so many business resources, especially for women who are starting up um, a business and for entrepreneurs that you can reach out and find yourself a mentor who you can have some really honest conversations about with and really try to make sure that you're self-aware enough of your own personal, um, you know, limiting beliefs, let's call it that, um, that can help you and coach you and, and move you forward. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think that's so important, especially, you know, when you are starting out as an entrepreneur, usually it is sort of that one man show. So having someone that you can really turn to for advice or even just to, you know, get ideas from and um, talk it through, I think is so important. So I think that's a great piece of advice for anyone starting out. And do you also have any future plans for your business that you'd like to share? Yeah, we have lots of plans for sure. Um, we're definitely continuing to Uh, reach out to our community and encourage people to share more stories about women talking about thigh chafing and normalizing this very common skin issue. Um, We have some exciting plans to launch some new colors and new styles. Um, And we're also, you know, continuing to listen to customers in terms of uh, our customers telling us what they want in terms of new products. And then from the business angle, you know, there's a lot of people that we still have to speak to who don't know about Thigh Society, who don't know about the awesomeness of our slip shorts. And so we need to, you know, continue to to reach those people and explore uh, different channels like YouTube and Snapchat and, you know, some areas that we haven't really explored yet in terms of our marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very excited for all of those future plans that are coming up. And where can the listeners go to find you and your business and to watch out for all of those upcoming plans? For sure. So listeners can go follow us on Instagram at, at Thigh Society. And our website is thighsociety.ca. And in case and someone didn't get it yet, it's a pun on high society. So we're all about the puns. So hopefully some of your listeners will get a kick out of the puns we use on our site and definitely sign up for our newsletter to be uh, first to find out about new product launches and sales and continue to follow us on social media. And I will add a little plug that, yes, while, while we do cater mainly to prevent chafing, um, we have so many customers who are living in our shorts at home during quarantine and lockdown because they are so comfy. They're amazing Zoom call bottoms. They are uh, fabulous to do home workouts in or yoga, and you can sleep in them and, you know, watch Netflix. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to Made It Happen Podcast, the podcast highlighting female entrepreneurs. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, leave a review, and I'll see you next week.